If you've been with us for a few weeks now, you might have noticed that the slides haven't changed. We've got the same title behind me. And I told you last week we're starting Job this week, but there's a change of plans. And uh, for various reasons, not the least of which is my partner in crime, J.C. Harrison, said, I'm not going to be there Sunday. And I'm like, well, that ain't going to work because the intro we're doing together as the Lord has led. So we've been working for months on this Job series. We're going to launch it next Sunday, God willing. And, uh, but what we got out of that was a bonus week in the Second Chance series. So if you, did, if you haven't been with us, and today might be your first, first Sunday here, especially because of the baptism, you all came for that, and praise God, we're glad to have you here. We've been celebrating second chances all month of April uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, we believe God is a God of second chances, right? And even as we celebrate people who are doing well, we know that God is there for people who are not doing well, you know? That, matter of fact, one of, the, one of the things that we have tendency to do is to pretend to be okay when we're not okay. And one of the things the gospel says is it's okay to not be okay. Which is a crazy thing you'd have to say to a church of believers who say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior, but then we act like we're fine without him, right? We don't need him anymore. Or we, we said that prayer back then when we were a kid, or maybe we were baptized at that point, but, but now I just got to act like I have it figured out, but I don't know what's going on in my life. And that is not the gospel. As we've been reminded today already uh, by Mike and others, that the gospel is of a God who will not leave us behind that will always pursue us to the very ends of the earth as the songs remind us today that he will not leave us nor forsake us, that it's not about a decision made back there, but a relationship that's right here because he has claimed us as his own. And so we celebrate that. Particularly, by the way, the Second Chance series is rooted in the ministry of uh, prison fellowship because they work in prisons where they try to tell dudes and women that you get a second chance, that the things that got you here don't have to rule your life when you're out of here. And we have a heart for that kind of ministry as well. So we have a prison ministry at Family Bible Church we are blessed to be part of. And then we have um, the, the food pantry we talked about where you don't have to, you know, it's okay to need help. It's hard to ask for help, but you don't have to always need help. You can actually walk your way out of that stuff, and we will walk with you in those hard times. And, uh, and then even in our own lives and relationships, we talked about forgiveness and how, you know, we need a second chance to be forgiven and be forgiving, and they are linked in the Bible. Today, we're going to talk a little more about that. And we're going to so I told you, you know, last week, if you stuck around for the town hall, someone said, man, it'd be great. The Second Chance series has been great. There's a couple you didn't cover. There's more than a couple, by the way. There's a ton we didn't cover. The Bible is filled with second chances. One of the things that David said, the guy who ran the retreat center is, he said, my life has problems. After he showed us this thing he's doing, what God's been doing, everything else, he goes, I got some real problems. And he told us to pray for specific things in his life. And he goes, people are always saying, well, David, why do you talk about all your problems like this? Like, you're Christian. It's supposed to be good. And he said... Find me one perfect family in the Bible. Just one. And I, and I thought, well, the Holy Family, that's what I was thinking. He, it was a rhetorical question, by the way. I'm supposed to answer it, but I tried. And uh, then you're like, yeah, Jesus had a stepdad. Like, what does it say about the gospel that God birthed Jesus into a life where your dad's not your dad, but the Holy Father's your dad? Well, what does that mean that he knit you together in your mother's womb? And so we, we, we're, we're going to talk about the intimacy with which we're known today and about this enduring journey that we're on with Christ to see full redemption. That's what David said. My story is not over. I need Christ today. Wait, I need Christ tomorrow to face what's coming next. And so today we're going to talk about it. I want to give you a little heads up, though. We're going to pray and get into it, but uh, today's a little heavy, you know. We're going to talk about one of the two people who was mentioned at the town hall last week, Peter. But we're going to talk about Peter in comparison to Judas. Because if you think about it, there's some commonality and some differences, you might already 
No, about those two disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen, two of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. And what are the differences and what can we learn about God's enduring faithfulness to us? So that's our hope today. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna get into the topic uh, at hand. Uh, pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Emma's confession of faith and her baptism and renewal in your Holy Spirit's power. And the, 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 not the work that we have seen done alone, not the work that is done today alone, but the work that will be done, we will be able to witness and celebrate with her through the good and the bad, the, the uh, opportunities to worship you as we all have. May you continue to bless her and lead her by your mighty power in uh, the household of faith. Father, for uh, all of us who come into your presence today, and we sang songs about who you are, and they are to you, for you. They're not about us. Father, would you be glorified today as we open your word, that you would teach us some things that we need to know about the truth of how much you love us and how far you will go to save us. May you uh, be known as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, first in our hearts, and then on our mouths, and then in the world, that we would, if nothing else, we would be submitted unto your purposes. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, I said it's going to be a little heavy, right? But we're going to kind of talk through three things. If you've got an, announcement, an engagement sheet, by the way, you'll see the three steps on there. But we're going to talk about the, the high cost of betrayal the high cost of denial, and then the full hope of redemption. So there's kind of a layout of the whole topic today is the price of denial, the price of betrayal, and the hope for redemption that we all have. I'm going to invite you because we don't just make this stuff up. We want to see where it says in God's Word. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 26. So turn there if you would. And we're going to cover a few verses here. And we're going to talk first about this idea of a betrayer of Christ. Now, whether you've been in church or not, you probably already know that Judas is the betrayer of Jesus, right? I mean, the, the, the authors of the Bible can't help but just go, Judas Iscariot the one who betrayed Jesus, lest you forget he's the one that betrayed Jesus, right? And so we're going to hear Judas's story. This is the guy we love to hate in some way, right, as Christians. Oh, Judas. Matter of fact, if I can be really straight with you, this is the guy who has led Christianity, that our, our people's feelings toward Judas has led, had led Christians to be hateful toward other people as a people group because of Judas. One of the things we wrestled with this week at the retreat was, why are you, one of the theological questions, why are you Christians if Jesus is a Jew? What does that mean that you're a Christian when Jesus is a Jew? And so we talked about that. People have that question. Why? Because there's been a history of anti-Semitism in the church. And some of that is rooted in Judas Iscariot. He betrayed Jesus. Well, let's look at Judas's story and let's hear. And, and by the way, you might be comfortable going, yeah, Judas, out of here. I get it, right? Judged by God, condemned to hell. You know, <coughs> praise God, move on. Collect the check. Let's go. The reality is a little more complex, and you have to see some things. So here we go. Matthew 26, verses 14 and 16, and then we're going to skip ahead. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, and he asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And so they counted out 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas began to watch for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them. 
Now, if you, if you know something about Judas' story, you know that he's got a complicated backstory with Jesus. He, we learn that he's the money changer. He's the keeper of the funds for all the disciples. People bring contributions to him, and he distributes them amongst the people. And, um, and so there's always this temptation. He's the guy that said, like, why is she wasting perfume when they pour it on Jesus' feet? You know, he, he seems to be the guy that's good at business but bad at math. You know what I mean? Like, like, he doesn't understand the scope and scale of what's happening, but he's counted, and I want you to see it in the Bible. He's counted as one of the 12. Matter of fact, what we're about to read now, because what comes next is Jesus breaks bread with Judas. I mean, it blows me away when people talk about communion and the, how important communion is and the big deal with it, right? And we got to make sure people are good enough to receive it. And it's like Jesus gave the first communion to Judas. Do you think he was like, examine yourselves before you come to this table? I mean, that's wild to me that it's in there. We're going to pick it up, though, because that happens. Judas receives communion from Jesus Christ at the Last Supper. Here we go, then. Verse 47. While, Ju- while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, so he's been looking for a way to betray Jesus, he arrived. And with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent by the chief priests and the elders of the temple, of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Judas, or to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, teacher, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus says this. Listen to the word. Friend, do what you've come for. Hmm. The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword away, Jesus said. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call upon my father? And he would at once put at disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that it says it must happen like this? 55. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me there. But this has taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And now look at this last word, and we're going to talk through this. And all the disciples, the word says, deserted Jesus and ran. So we have this famous scene. Judas takes 30 pieces of silver. And by the way, 30 pieces of silver is a huge deal because there's this betrayal concept tied into it. What are you going to do with 30 pieces of silver, right? And every little part of Jesus' story is a fulfillment of, of, of uh prophecy and of God's um, condemnation and this betrayal is happening. So Judas in his heart, you had to see this, he's the money keeper, but he's like, for only 30 pieces, I'll betray Jesus. It's a bad deal, by the way. It's a really bad deal, right? You can get more than 30 pieces of silver for Jesus. I'm just saying. And he begins to look for a way to betray him. And here he finds it. He comes after the, la- the Last Supper. He comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he sees Jesus there. It says he comes with a, la- a large crowd armed with swords and clubs. And he went to chief priests and elders. Now, what is this betrayal with a kiss thing? It says, now the betrayer arranged a signal with those who was going to take Jesus. And it was a kiss. And you go, now that's weird. Why? And we even have a saying for this. It's called uh, betrayed with a kiss. Right? What is it about a kiss that's betraying? And why a kiss anyway? I, I want to say a couple things. First, is it Judas's idea to do this? It was his idea. 
How will we know who Jesus is? Uh, someone just recently asked me that question. They said, well, couldn't they tell that Jesus was Jesus? Matter of fact, we just had a great question from one of our kids that said, uh, um, what about, what's a halo thing around all the saints that we see in the pictures? Or what's the halo on the angels, right, that we see? What is that? Didn't he have an aura? Didn't he have something about him that was just so beautiful that everyone goes, of course it's Jesus. But it seems not so. I've actually seen some great work on what Jesus looked like, and it says that there was nothing special about him that we should be drawn to him. That's from Isaiah the prophet, right? Nothing that we should give him honor, but he was a man despised and rejected. He was of low estate. I mean, you recall I just said he was placed in a family of poverty, and he was born in a manger because there was no place to receive him during the great count of the important people of Israel. Isn't that remarkable? And so we have a God who is not discernible from his people. You see, we have this image of Jesus, the paintings we've all seen, where he's at the center, there's the glow around Jesus, and then all his disciples, and they paint him you know, on these different faces, and one guy's, one guy's got a knife, by the way. Oh, he's got a knife. You know who that is. Because we, after the fact, we see it so clearly, but in the moment, it is not so clear. I can't imagine how this comes up, except that the guards are like, how are we gonna know which one Jesus is? And Judas is like, I'll give him a kiss. You ever had that person that says, I can get you in? I know the right people. We're gonna walk up to the, uh, the uh, uh, what is it called, VIP gate, and they'll know me, and they'll invite me in. This is the betrayal. Wait a minute, Paul writes to the church, greet one another with a holy kiss. Why? That's an intimacy. One time I had a person challenge me in the church. They said, why don't Christians kiss each other like the Bible says? <laughs> why don't you kiss one another? I've had a few people do it. Give me kisses, a holy kiss. There's some intimacy, right? This week, uh, I celebrated my mom's birthday with her, and we got together, and we had a, a wonderful meal. And before and after, I gave her huge hugs, and I gave her a kiss on the cheek, right? She's like, oh, this thing, you know? Because when you kiss them, like, you know them. I want you to see the scene here. Jesus is in the garden, right? He's waiting to be betrayed. Listen to me. He's looking to Jerusalem and the cross. And in the middle of this, one of his 12 come up with an army to take him out. And these two men stand there, and he comes close. What does he say? Rabboni, teacher. And he kisses them on the cheek. Man, I think that's weird enough already. But Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Wait a minute. Look at how Jesus replies in the text. Friend, come, do what you've come to do. What? Friend, the one whom I love, the one whom I just told you that I have to go to the cross. Do what you've come to do. Let me tell you something real quickly. Disclaimer, I'm not saying what Judas did is not evil. It's evil. The, the text says that it would be better that the one who betrays me not be born than to do this. And yet, in the moment, Jesus, fully knowing where he's heading, what's going on, sees Judas, and Judas is like, we got him, we got him. And all the people with the swords and clubs are like, we got him, we're going to get him. And everybody, the chief priests and the, you know, the religious people who are just sick and tired of this Jesus guy are like, we're going to nail him up and make a point, right? We're going to turn him over to the state and let the state deal with him. Like, that's what we're going to do. And Jesus sees him coming and goes... This is next, a kiss from a dear friend, one of the 12. You remember every time Jesus taught the crowd stuff and it was confusing? 
They would go to a private room with like 12 of them or a private campfire or whatever it was, and they would say, what did that mean? And he would say, this is what it means. Let me explain it to you. That was Judas. The people who saw the miracles, that was Judas. The people who saw the, the, million, the, the uh, thousands fed, that was Judas. One of the 12, one of the 12, one of the 12. Please don't cheapen the betrayal by saying he didn't see it. Judas was blessed as much as anyone by Jesus Christ, and yet he will betray him for 30 pieces of silver. There's something going on in Judas's heart. I have, by the way, an overarching theory that God's been working me through with all these things, including Job and other things, is that God wants to deal with us. And you know, we think the story is about what God, God's after something in you. I told somebody this week, I said, you think you've got problems, but God's after something out of your life that's uniquely about you. And whether people, you know, this is a great work or a tiny work, God is at work in you for a purpose in you that he wants redeemed. So we have then Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. Well, he, of course, says, uh, this is going to be uh, to fulfill scripture. That's why this is done. There's something else, by the way, about the kiss. It's an intimacy, intimate greeting, but it's a friend's betrayal. That's why Jesus says, friend, friend. I want to read these two passages to you just so uh, you know. It says, uh, um, oh, yeah, yeah. It says in uh, Jonah 2.8. Now, this is what we're going to get into a little later. The one who clings to worthless idols forfeits the love and kindness that God has for them. That, that, that somehow there's a betrayal of the opportunity that's being had there. That was not the passage I was going to read. It was Job 19, 19. But there's this intimate betrayal that Judas is doing. Done to fulfill scripture. And then the last thing I want to say here about Judas, we're going to come back to this. The last thing I want to say, because, again, we go, that Judas guy, we're better than him. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You know how I know? The last verse says, after they struck off the chief priest's servant's ear, and after Jesus said, put down your swords, you're going to die by the sword. Do you not think I have the power to control these things? After all these things, Jesus being who he is, the word says that all the disciples deserted Jesus, deserted him, and ran for their life. You see, at the end of the day, every person following Jesus said, well, I'm out of here. I came to fight. And if I can't fight on your behalf, if I can't have my own way, my own desires, then I'm going to flee. You ever heard that? Uh, fight or flight? Fight, flight, freeze, as they say. They were going to fight, then they were going to run. If Jesus won't let us do the things we want to do, we will leave him behind. And let me tell you, church, that's a real risk that we face, thinking we're going to leave Jesus behind, doing it our way way. I have a question for you, though, because see, this gets in, this betrayal ought to raise some senses in us. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever had someone that you really trusted betray you? Like, maybe it's a family member that you, you thought would be safe, you thought loved you, you thought was going to hold, you thought was going to do the right thing, and then you find out they're they betray you. Uh, maybe you've had the experience where you're totally confident and all of a sudden something gets revealed to you and you're like, what? And then you start to say, did I ever know you? Who are you? One of the other topics we were talking about is organizations and people move at the speed of trust. If you don't trust people around you, it's hard to go anywhere. 
It's hard to get, you know, this is what happens whenever you, you tell your boss you're gonna quit in two weeks, whatever, and you get sidelined or three months, you know, give you one year notice. You lose all power because they can't trust that you're on mission. They can't trust we're going the same way. They're gonna put you aside. Matter of fact, I've known some bosses that when they're told, hey, here, two weeks notice, I'm gonna get out of here. They're like, just take your stuff and go right now. I can't have you in my organization if I don't know you're with me. Why? Because we as a people function under trust. Have you ever been betrayed? I mean, if I, I'm, I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I'd bet that every person in this room has been hurt in betrayal by someone. Stunned with a level of depravity turned against them. But here's another question for you. Have you ever betrayed somebody? I mean, we're more comfortable being betrayed because we get that thing going, you know? Like, I can't believe they did that to me. Oh, my gosh, how could they ever do these things to me? Who do they? Do they? And, they and we become a victim. We become the sufferer. We become the one that the world is against. But then you get caught out. You got that friend that says something. You got that family member that you love dearly, and then you're caught out. Can I tell you something real quick? I learned this over time from other people. Told me this, and then I lived it, and I'm like, oh. We should thank God every time a betrayal is revealed because that's godly revelation. And we should thank God when it's revealed of someone around us and, and wrestle with what that means about trust. But we should also thank God whenever our betrayals are revealed because you know what you get to do then go, oh God, I am a sinner. I am a betrayer. I did these things. We read the Bible a lot of times. We read ourselves, are we Judas? No. No, he's the bad guy. We're the good guys. We're Peter. Betraying other people is a painful experience. And we're going to come back to that. A painful experience. Then let's move on now. That's one line. I want you to see Judas in the story. And this is a really light sketching of Judas' story. You could do a whole study on Judas. This is the light sketch here. We're going to turn to Peter, right? And I want to compare these two ideas. He and Peter the denier, you know this, I'm not spoiling it, you know that already. Let's look at uh, Matthew 26, 31. The word says this. Uh, then Jesus told Peter, uh, this very night, oh, to all the disciples, this very night, we're going back, by the way, in time here. This very night, all of you will fall away because of me. Because it's written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep and the flock will be scattered, right? Fulfillment of prophecy. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, here comes Peter. And man, you got to love Peter. He says, even if all fall away on account of you, Lord, I never will. Did you just remember the end of the story I told you about Judas? They all, it doesn't say they all, but Peter ran away. They all ran away. Everybody. But just not moments before, Peter is going, even if every one of these other idiots leave, I ain't leaving. And you got to give some credit to Peter because he's the guy going, you are the Christ. He's the guy going, where else will we go? You have the very words of eternal life. And you go, yeah, Peter, you're not going to run away. You're not going to fall away. And then Jesus says this, you know the story. I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. By the way, what time doesn't a rooster crow. Early o'clock. That's what time. You ever heard a real rooster? A 
there's a city ordinance about chickens in the city. Part of the reason is because they're annoying, <laughs> you know? If you ever been on it, some of you all have chickens and roosters. You know what I'm talking about. But those things start going off. I think when we were, the only place I ever lived with a rooster was in Kenya. I mean, I lived there, but I stayed there. That thing was so annoying. It was like four. I mean, the sun wasn't even up. That thing's out there. And I'm like, where's the gun? Like, somebody take care of this rooster, you know? And it's so annoying as a city boy. The alarm clock, you can't tap and snooze. And Jesus says, before that thing happens, which is going to happen really early in the morning, you're going to disown me, disown me. Not only are you going to leave, you're going to deny me. But Peter said this, even if I have to die, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said, us too. We're not deniers. We're not fleers. Pick it up now in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him and said, you were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before everyone standing there. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him. And she said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I swear, I don't know the man. Whew. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are the one, you are one of them, because your accent gives you away. And then Peter began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to all of them, I don't know him. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter, listen to the word, went outside and wept bitterly. You see, God is a God of our hearts. And no matter our pledges and our ideas of how good we're going to be, he's like, no, you won't. No, you won't. It ain't going to work that way. I love that um, Peter's like, I'm never going to disown you. And then here it just happens so quickly. Can I point out a few things? He denies him three times. We know the story, right? Peter denies Jesus three times. It's, it's a young girl who's like, I think you were with him. To Peter's credit, and we talked about this before, he got close enough to Jesus to be recognized by the, by the people. But it was a young servant girl, it says. This was a person who had no status. No, it wasn't a Pharisee or a Sadducee saying this is one of his disciples. It was, you can just see the imagery of a young woman going, I think. And you know what he says? I don't know what you're talking about. Second time, another young servant girl. No, he's with Jesus of Nazareth. And he says these words, I swear, I don't know the man. Now you're getting deeper. Uh, you know, you can see the progression of his denial. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And then the crowd begins to look at him suspicious. I think these girls are right. I think you are the guy. And then he begins to say, may I be cursed you ever had somebody uh, make too much of a thing, right? There's no way. I would never. I can't. What is that old saying? Uh, me thinks he doth protest too much. I don't know what it's even from. It's some Shakespeare thing. <laughs> There's something that's given away when you start to really say, no, bro, never, no. And all of a sudden, that moment, right, he says, may I be cursed. I never knew the man, I swear to all of you. You know, when Peter's going through the denial, how ridiculous is it he's not self-aware that this is one, and this is two, and now that's three? 
you see the progression? Do you see how he begins to slip? I don't know what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, I don't know Jesus. And then all of a sudden, I swear, y'all, I don't know Jesus. I don't know who this dude is. I, I, like, I want no part with him. And then the rooster crows, and you go, oh, my God. Let me back that up a little bit. You ever denied you're a Christian? I mean, if you did what Emma did this morning, you ever deny that in your life later? I don't know what you're talking about. No, I think you're one of those, aren't you? One of those crazy, fill in the blank, whatever. I don't know him. Hey, man, you do you and I'll do me. That's cool. No, no, no. I know I saw you coming out of that church. I know I saw you say that. I know I saw the Instagram. I know I saw your Snapchat about Easter. I know I saw it. And then you're like, I swear, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Same problem. Who's a denier? We are. We are. Don't that sit? The rooster crows, listen to the word, and Peter weeps. No. The rooster crows, and Peter weeps bitterly. Not only did he flee whenever Christ was being taken away in chains, but now he had denied even knowing the man by swear of oath on his own body. I swear to you, I don't know him. He's so afraid. He's so, he's there, but he's so, you know, incapable of acknowledging Jesus as Messiah, which he has done before. Like, that's crazy. And not only does he weep, it's not like, <laughs> I can't believe. No, he's like, oh my God. You know, Peter, he's like, no. I just said I would never do this. Peter denies him. Peter weeps bitterly. Listen, have you ever done something that just makes you sick? That thing in your mouth. Oh. You ever had something bitter? That's what it means to weep bitterly. It's like, I'm going to throw, I think I'm going to throw up. I think I'm going to puke. I'm so, I go, I can't believe that's in me. And everything, listen to me, church, everything in your body is like, get it out. Get it out. You ever had that? Made your pucker? Made your stomach turn? Jesus knew Judas would betray him. Listen to me. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. Jesus knew all the disciples would be scattered. So what are we looking for then? For Judas, what are we looking for? For Peter, what are we looking for? Let me tell you something, church. If the story stops right there, it's, it's hopeless, man. What a tragedy. I'll go home and weep. But we're looking for a redeemer. And this is where we're going to finish up today. We're looking for a redeemer. And I want you today to know that no matter where you've been or what you've gone through, you have a redeemer in Jesus Christ. He's not absent when you're betraying one another. He's not absent when you're betraying him He's not absent when you have a hard time trusting. He's not absent when you've been harmed or hurt in this world. He's not absent. He is your redeemer. Where do we see it? Check this out. Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10. I want you to hold Judas in your mind right now. We read this. When Judas, 
who had betrayed Jesus, saw that Jesus was now condemned to die. He was seized with remorse. Did you ever hear that before? He was seized with remorse, the word says. And he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests of the elders. Listen to his confession. I have sinned, he said, because I have betrayed innocent blood. And you gotta think, Judas, is this a revelation to you? Have you not walked with this man? What do you think he is? And he's like, I want nothing to do. And he throws back the very money that he betrayed Jesus for. Listen to their reply, because they don't care. They go, what is this to us? That's your problem. You betrayed him, not me. This is the thing, right? Your, your friends who are not believing, then they're like, well, you know, I don't believe in all this. And you're like, you made me this way. You corrupted me. You led me down this path. And they're like, that's our problem. It's your problem. You're the one that believes in Jesus, not me. They fully put this back at Judas's feet. So Judas throws the money into the temple court and he leaves. Listen to the word. And these are devastating, devastating words. He went away and he hanged himself. You know what that is? The act of someone in despair. The act of a hopeless person. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, it's against the law now, put this back in the treasury since it's now blood money because he betrayed blood with it. So they decided to use the money to, bring, to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. Hear the word. I can't even preach that this morning. And that is why it's been called the field of blood to this very day. They used the money to buy something for people who are outside of Israel. This is a redemption ground where they can be buried because I can't keep this money. It's blood money. Verse 9. And then what, they spoke, what was spoken in Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set upon him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord had commanded Fulfillment of scripture. But there it is. But poor Judas. I told you all this before. And I think I have, but I'm going to say it one more time because it was a really powerful thing. There was a youth doing an Easter pageant. And it was a youth ministry. Don't ever doubt, by the way, it comes out of young people's minds about the truth of scripture, reading it for the first time. And uh, they had the Last Supper, you know, thing. And they had a character that came out of the, out of the dark because it was a spotlight kind of situation. And it was Satan, you know, the gray, the creepy, kind of, you know, it wasn't red and it wasn't cute. It was kind of a scary looking animal. But came up and they paused communion as Jesus had his hand in the cup with Judas and, and, and Satan. And the word says this, at that moment, Satan entered Judas, entered him. And then it says, at that moment, Jesus said, friend, do, do what you must do, do it quickly. What you, no, he says, what you must do, do quickly. Doesn't say friend there. Why? Because Satan's entered the chat, right? He's in there, and he's, he's involved in this internal dialogue. It had gotten to such a point where even in this intimate moment, he's got a space in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. Well, in the same play, there were so many great things in it, but later, after Jesus betrayed, he throws the money into the temple courts, and he's walking away, Judas, and he's, he's weeping. Peter asks here. He's seized. He's frozen. I can't believe I did it. I can't believe there's no hope for me. I can't believe I, of all people, betrayed him. And the same creature comes over his shoulder and goes, yes, you did. Yes, you did. You betrayed him. Nobody else. I can't believe you did it. You see, because the truth is that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And when he speaks lies, he speaks his own language. He's never telling the truth. He 
encourages Judas to betray. He compels him to betray. Judas goes along, does it for sure. And then he turns on the one and says, I can't believe you. And you call yourself a Christian. And you act like that. You ever heard that voice? I can't believe you. And Judas makes a decision. I'm out of here. And he hangs himself. What a tragedy for Judas. What a sad ending. Why would I say it? Let's look at John 21. This will be our last passage today, John 21. You know this, because I said that's Judas' story. Narrative arc, end, tragedy. Listen to this. Verse, I think we're going to start in verse 3 of John. Uh, let's start. Verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and all the disciples, our two other disciples were together. <laughs> I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. And they all said, well, we'll go with you. And so they went out and they got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them. Listen to the words, church. Friends, <laughs> haven't you any fish? No, they replied. He said, throw your net on the other side and you'll find some on the right side. And when they threw it on the right side, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to, uh, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off to fish. And he jumped into the water and the other disciples followed in the boat and towing the net full of fish. They were all not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they had landed, they saw the fire burning of coals where the fish was already on it. And some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back onto the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of about 153 fish. Even with so many fish in the net, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come now, let's eat some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord Jesus. Taking the bread and giving it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he's raised from the dead couple things I want to say here. Jesus is funny. Like, I know I told that really sad story about Judas, and I get it, right? But Jesus is funny, dude, because you can't see this story. What was Peter when Jesus met him? Fisherman. What's Peter doing? I'm going to go fish. If you don't know what else to do, I'm just going to go do what I was doing before when Jesus showed up the first time, right? Jesus shows up on the shore, and he says to them, friends, do you have any fish? I think that's hilarious, because, you know, if you want a a story out of a fisherman, <laughs> or, or maybe just an angry fisherman, ask him how the fishing was after they haven't fished, caught anything at all. Especially when you're like a commercial fisherman. It's your livelihood. I've wasted all night alone on the, on the lake. I've been out here fishing all night with all these other stinky dudes. No, we haven't caught any fish. Why I think he's funny? Because Jesus already has fish on the grill. What is that? You could see the story making more sense. He says, hey, friends, throw your fish over there. Oh, look, 153 fish. Bring me a couple. I'm going to feed you. No. Jesus is like, I've already got all that you need right here, and you've been out there wasting your time fishing. I'm going to feed you right here. I've already got it. But he does say bring some fish. That's interesting to me. I don't know what that all means. What does that mean? He says, here's some fish. What is this reminiscent of? He gave them fish and bread. You remember the miracles? He then said, let's eat some breakfast. They fished all night. Why? 
Peter, goofy Peter, dives into the water, swims, has to go back and help the boat. No, it's Peter. He's, he's crazy. But he waited. When he didn't know, he waited. Do you hear what the word said? Before Jesus betrayed, he's like, this very night you'll all be scattered, but I'm going ahead of you in the Galilee, and you're going to meet me there. Right? The promise is already made to all the disciples. If you would just wait, you will see my redemption. If you will just wait, you will know the redemption that I've offered. I told you my theory. God's after you. Listen to this, verse 15. After they finished eating the fish and the bread, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he cried out to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said this, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you were dressed yourself and you went on wherever you wanted. But when you're older, you will stretch out your hands and someone will lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this, listen, to indicate the type of death by which Peter was called and would glorify God. And then he looked right at him and he said, so follow me. There's the obvious stuff here. Three denials, three restorations. There's the obvious stuff. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, you ever had somebody that can't be convinced you love them? You know I love you. You know I love you. How? I give you all my whole life. You know that I love you. This is Peter and Jesus. I love Peter's response a third time. He is hurt. How could you say it a third time to me? And you have to then wonder, when Jesus is seeing Peter betray him, how could you deny me a third time? It's just as incredulous the other way around. You know I love you, Lord. You know I'm fishing because I'm the one to do. You know I've been waiting for you to fulfill your promises. Then feed my sheep. Oh, by the way, it'd be the last thing you ever do. Follow me. Those were the first and last words, said to Peter. Follow me. So, how's that a redeemer? Because Peter's life is redeemed from the pit. Second chance. Peter, listen to me. The lesson I see in these two narratives is you don't quit. Don't quit. Why does this matter? Because right now, people are like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. This is getting too hard. And it's like, no, you're halfway through God's story of redemption in your life. Hear me, church. You're halfway through God's story of redemption. Take heart. Be encouraged. He's not done yet. Do you see it? No, Billy, you don't know what I've been through. I don't know what you've been through. But God is not done yet. I'm gonna ask a radical, I'm gonna ask a controversial question. And it's not in the Bible. What if Judas had just waited? Betrayed Jesus to death on the cross, threw back the money, repented, and then just walked in the crap as the devil said, You did it, you did it. But he just kept walking. You know what the word says about our faith? In the end, you will stand. 
When it's all you can do, you will stand. Why? Because I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know in the end, I will see with my own eyes, not another but my own eyes, I will see my Lord on this earth. So I wait. You know where that comes from? Job 19.19. We say it almost every funeral. That's the call of being a Christian. You deny him, that stinks. Let him redeem you. You betray, that stinks. Let him redeem it. God is the God of redemption. I wonder if Judas had waited, would he have found the hope of a resurrected Christ? You see, he quit before he knew it. Two things then. What can you do? You cannot give up. What else can you do? You can encourage others to not give up. We have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, church, in our hearts and in our minds. You don't know what to say? Say, there is hope for you. You don't have to understand how or when or where. Just encourage people that there is hope. It is the call of the gospel amongst us. Why would you let people short-circuit the grace that God had for them? How can you or me or anyone else know there's no redemption? I wear out from people saying, you don't know my story. There's no hope for me. Baloney. Not true. And as a matter of fact, if you believe the lie, you forfeit the love, the grace that God has apportioned for you. That's from Jonah 2.8. You give it up, what God had set aside. We're going to close here. God's like, I have this blessing. I have this grace. I have this favor. I have this redemption for those who don't give up. So don't give up, or you will forfeit the grace that God has for you, or I will forfeit the grace that God has for me. So this is our call then, to keep on. You know that goofy fish in that movie? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? That's the crazy thing about Pixar, like they kind of figure some stuff out. <laughs> just don't quit. Just don't quit. How do you know if you will find your father? How do you know if you will find redemption? We don't know unless we keep swimming. Listen, we don't know unless we keep climbing the mountain. Pray with me if you would. Father God, for your hope and the word that you work in our souls, we give you thanks and praise for the ways that you have manifested your glory amongst your people who do not deserve it, who, who honestly, Lord, I mean, we're walking away from you, not towards you, who, 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 who we have no claim that, you know, we were pursuing a righteous life and all this, and, but we were found to be sinners in need of a redemption, that we were found to be dead in our sin, hopelessly lost, and you, Father, gave us a second chance. I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that we are a second chance people, not only for others, yes, second chance, but for ourselves. Would you help us? Help us, Father, to know and trust you in those betrayals, to know and trust you in those denials, and to, to look for your redeeming work that we'd be willingly participating with you in your redemption of our lives. Oh, Lord, so many people today need your encouragement. So many people need your Holy Spirit's intercession. So many people need Christ. Would you help us to just know and claim him boldly, as we've heard today, that we have a redeemer in him, that we don't bear our sin, whether it's before or after we're a Christian, and that he died that we might all be free. Help us, Father God, to acknowledge that amongst our, first among, before ourselves, then before our intimate family and friends, and then before the world, that you alone are Lord and Savior. 
We thank you so much for this work. We thank you for the opportunity to proclaim it in Jesus' name. Amen.